Amen. God is good, and He's good all the time. Amen? Amen. Well, let's uh, take a look today. I've had this message, working on this message for probably a month or two, and, and uh, God just put it on my heart uh, that it was time. And the message is called His Presence. It's kind of a, uh, one of a series that I'm going to be sharing with you over the next uh, uh, few, uh, few times up until probably Easter comes around. And aren't you excited that Resurrection Day is coming? Isn't that exciting? Amen. Looking forward to Easter. But uh, the title of my message today for this session is called Close Encounters of the God Kind. Now, that's not original, but it's really powerful and it's true. Close Encounters of a God Kind. How many have experienced close encounters of the God Kind? Amen. Uh, it, it is good to believe in God, but it's also really even better that when you encounter His presence and His power and see what it can do in your life because you will never be the same. Now, we look at the presence of God. We think of, uh, uh, really, I think of about three different kinds, and one kind of overlaps the others. But uh, first one is, is part of his innate character, part of his attributes, is that he is omnipresent. And the omnipresence of God simply means this, that in his attribute of being everywhere at all, all times at once, everywhere at once. He's omnipresent uh, even when we do not experience his presence, when we don't feel his presence. In other words, he's still there. He's there, right there, even when you don't feel him. When you feel like, God, I just can't feel you anymore. When I worship, it's just like, and I pray, it's just like it hits the, the ceiling and falls down. But he is there nonetheless. And it's in those times, when we're going through that time of testing, is we need to stand on our faith and believe what the Word says, that he is in us and he is with us. Somebody say amen. Uh, so the second one is the manifest presence of God. And God's manifest presence is, of course, his presence made manifest, that he manifests his presence in a powerful way. It's like it mushrooms. It's like he releases an anointing that just flows like a river sometimes. And, and that is a fact that, uh, that, that he is with us and, and, and we know that he is here because we sense and we feel the anointing, the anointing of his presence now, in that regard, there's a testimony that I heard from Wayne Benson, who was the pastor of Grand Rapids, uh, Michigan uh, Assembly of God, very large church. And Wayne Benson talked about how a revival that hit them uh, in the late 90s, 1990s, um, and the power of God came through that church like a river, literally like a river. And it was exciting to hear what God had done said that he stepped off the platform. It was a Wednesday evening. It wasn't even a Sunday morning, and there was quite a large number of people there because it was a very large mega church. And he stepped down from the platform that evening when God showed up and something incredible presence of God came. And he said, when you stepped off, uh, got to the bottom step to step down, he said it was like you could feel on your feet and on your ankles like you were standing in a rushing river. And look down, and there's just nothing there but air. But the feeling of presence was that the river of God was moving through this place at the altar. He stepped all the way down, and the, everybody could feel the river that stepped into the altar area. And God did a unique and powerful work of God in the years to come in that place. He manifests his presence. Now, he's omnipresent. He is always in us and with us. But in that particular instance, a time of revival, a season of outpouring, God showed up in a specific manifest way to show the people of God that he's real. And they could not only know it intellectually, 
they could not only feel it here, but they felt it everywhere that the presence of God is in this place. Now, there were incredible signs and wonders and miracles during that time of refreshing, that season of revival, where even creative miracles took place on the inside of the body, in particularly, others as well, but one in particular, of a boy, a son, a father who brought his son, who had been born with multiple birth defects, that he was hunched over, kind of way, way down, a little tiny because he couldn't stand up straight. He was broken on the inside, twisted up all over the inside. And he said he would never remember that when that river came through there, is that there was people who gathered around and prayed for this young man, his father standing next to him. And they said, never remember that the power of God came in like a mighty river and touched that boy. And they started hearing cracking and popping. And the boy was moaning and moaning and just made, he couldn't talk. He was moaning and making noises. His dad was concerned. He bent down, what are you doing? Are you hurting? Are you hurting? And no, it feels good. <laughs> and, and it wasn't long. And all of a sudden, this boy with the cracking and popping of bones, he stood up strong and he was tall. And God had totally healed him from the inside out. And you couldn't see it happening, but God was apparently with his surgical hands and his manifest presence on the inside of this boy, shaping and reshaping, rebuilding, recreating the insides of his body. And you know, that's, listen, when the presence, the manifest presence of God shows up, can I tell you, anything is possible. Anything is possible. And so I love... The manifest, I love the omnipresence of God, of knowing that God is everywhere at all times. And here's the thing, the devil likes you to believe that he's omnipresent. You know, have you ever heard people say, oh, but the devil's been chasing me all week? Probably uh, there's some ankle-biting demons chasing you. Uh, and, and that's true, we, we are in a spiritual warfare, but can I tell you, he's not omnipresent. He's not, om he's not omniscient, he's not all-wise and all-knowing, only God is. God can see the end before the beginning. The devil likes you to think he knows all about you and your secrets. He's only an observer. He doesn't know what's in your heart. He doesn't know what's in your mind. Somebody say, man, that's good news. You know, he's a created being. He's not God. He likes you to think that he's God. Uh, the, the Mormons think he's God, small g. They think Jesus is a small g God, but Jesus is the big God. You know, they're, they're an error in that, in that regard. But the omnipresence of God is there. The manifest presence of God is powerful, and I embrace it. I covet it. I long for it. I believe God for it. And every time, listen, when we worship, we stir up the pot, okay? Stir up the gift of God that is in you by the laying on of the hands. God has touched you when he redeemed you. Maybe people have laid hands on you. Stir up the gift of God. You know, seek after and hunger for the manifest presence of God because when that happens, anything is possible. That's when in a service time, uh, like we talked about Grand Rapids, Michigan, but even at Calvary Church, God manifests his presence and miracles happen. People's lives are changed. Yokes are broken. Sickness is healed. Not everyone gets prayed for is healed, but God heals them on the inside. 
And ultimately, we're all going to be healed. The indwelling presence of God is the third. And, you know, that kind of goes along with uh, really the omnipresence, manifest. But there's an indwelling presence, a deposit of the Holy Spirit that comes into our heart when we receive Jesus Christ as Savior. This is what differentiates Christianity from all the other religions of the world. They may have good principles and good practices and everything else, but in Christianity, the spirit of the living God literally comes inside of a person, a portion, a seal, unto the day of redemption, a body, soul, and spirit, that it is a sign of the new covenant made in the blood of Christ, that he will be in us the hope of glory, that he is inside of us, that resurrection power that raised Christ from the dead will also resurrect our mortal bodies when it's time in the end. Somebody say amen. That's why death is an enemy, but that enemy is going to be destroyed. Death is an enemy, but Jesus said, whoever believes in me shall never die. Even though he dies, he's still going to live. We have the manifest presence of God that we have available to us, but the indwelling presence of God, that deposit of the Holy Spirit that is inside of us to change us from the inside out. Aren't you glad for the change? It is the Spirit of God who washes our mind and renews us in our thinking by the Word of God, so that we can think differently. I don't think like I used to. Okay? When I first gave my life to the Lord, especially reclaimed at the age of 18, I still thought like a slave. That I was a slave to my passions, a slave to my sin, a slave to my past, a slave to the abuse that I had suffered and seen in my home. And yet through the power of the Holy Spirit, He cleansed my mind, renewed me. I didn't think any longer as a victim. Now I'm a victor. Overcomer, God wants to do that by the indwelling presence of God who changes us from the inside out, changes how we think. Somebody say amen. And I love his presence because uh, his presence, you know, when we talk about this, how transforming it is. Because the first thing we do when we come to him, we can find cleansing from our sins. Now this isn't on the overhead here, but uh, Isaiah chapter 6 tells the story of Isaiah. It tells about his calling and his encounter of the God kind, his encounter with the living God. And he talks about this in chapter 6 where he says, it was in the year of King Uzziah died that I saw the Lord and he was sitting on a throne and the train of his robe filled the temple. Attending him were mighty seraphim, angels, having six wings. With two they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they flew. And they were calling out to each other, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. The whole earth is filled with his glory. And it says that their voices shook the temple to its foundations and the entire building was filled with smoke. Now that is a manifestation of the Spirit of God. And then he said, Isaiah said, it's all over. I'm done for, is what he was saying. I'm doomed, for I'm a sinful man and I have filthy lips and I live among the people with filthy lips and yet I have seen the King, the Lord of heaven's army. And then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal, he says. He had taken from the altar with a pair of tongs. He touched my lips with it and said, see, this coal has touched your lips. Your guilt is now removed and your sins are forgiven. See, he had an encounter of the God kind. And when he had the encounter, just like us, when we uh, are, are, uh, are experiencing the manifest presence of God, the manifest presence of God is like, a, is like a bright light that shines a light on our soul. Isaiah suddenly realized that I am an unclean man. I'm done for because I have seen the holiness of God. 
But I want to tell you the good news is is that God doesn't destroy us by his manifest presence. He transforms us. He doesn't uh, drive us away, but he calls us closer. Would you come closer so that I can cleanse you? As he said in another place in Isaiah, come and let us reason together. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as wool. Though they be as crimson, they shall be as snow. God wants to cleanse us when we have an encounter. Now, Isaiah could have turned and fled and said, I can't stand to be in the presence of God. Now, that would have been the wrong choice. And he would have ruined the whole story of Isaiah. Don't run the story of your life by running from the presence of God. Run into the presence of the Lord and let him transform you. He will convict us of our sins. He'll reveal things that are not uh, uh, right in his eyes that we have an opportunity to repent of as Isaiah did. Now, uh, as we talk about the presence of God, uh, his presence, number one, I got three things, and I could do 10 or 20 things, but I, you know, I know you wouldn't sit for that, so um, we'll just do three today. Uh, but his presence reveals our sin, as he did with Isaiah, and our unrighteousness and our need for him. But uh, on the overhead, the first one I have for this lesson is his presence reveals his purpose. And somebody says, don't you mean my purpose, Pastor? No, I mean his purpose. Because when we get saved... When the Spirit of God is inside of us, when we seek after His presence, God will reveal the very purpose that He created you to fulfill. Oftentimes, as Isaiah, when he was in His presence, he heard the call of God, the call of God to be a prophet to a sinful nation and to cry out to them with the word of the Lord. And uh, God wants to reveal His purpose for your life to you. Romans 8.28 says this, and we know, now Paul says we know, This is something that we all know, we agree on, that all things work together for good to those who love God. Somebody says, well, some things do. No, the Word of God is true, and it says all things. Although sometimes it may not seem like that's really very good, but they work together for good. doesn't mean the bad situations are good. It just means God will take whatever comes your way, and He will turn it into something good. He'll, He'll make something good out of it. He'll give you beauty for ashes and the oil of joy for mourning to those who call on him, those who seek after him. He says, for those who love him. Do you love the Lord? Amen. To know him is to love him, and to love him is to serve him. And, And so to those who are called according to his purpose. This is how it's going to work out. Called according to his purposes. Romans 8, 28. I fall on that verse so many times. Because through my life and through my ministry and even lay ministry before I was a pastor, there were times that challenging things came my way. And I think, this just isn't right, God. This must be the devil. And sometimes, can I tell you, it's just life. Uh, You know, I did a message many years ago called When Life Happens. You know, life happens to everybody. Bad things, bad news. Uh, bad news from the doctor, bad news from your, uh, from your accountant or your investment counselor, bad news from your 403 account news. I mean, bad news, it comes. But you know, bad news isn't so bad when God's manifest presence is with you, that he helps us through the hard times. He helps us. Somebody say amen. amen. Loving God will bring the presence of God. Loving the Lord will... Well, draw, when you draw close to God, you know, he's going to draw close to you. And loving him is a way that we draw close to God. We love God through our obedience. Jesus said, if you love me, obey me. 
I've been going through reading the Old Testament and going through, uh, the, I believe it's the book of Deuteronomy as I'm reading through that, just finished it, I believe, is that, uh, that obey, be sure you obey, be sure you obey my commands, be sure you obey, and then if you do, this will happen, this something good will happen. We love God through our obedience and we love God through our worship. We were worshiping God today. And there were some pretty awesome, awesome songs that the anointing of the Holy Spirit, the presence of God in times of a manifest presence, the songwriter wrote those words while he was under the anointing. Have you ever thought about that? You know, it's not the inspired word of God, but it's the inspired gift of God to the body of Christ when an incredible worship song is written. I'm an old worship leader. Uh, they used to do worship for many, many years, and, I, and there was nothing more precious to me than learning a new song that gave me new words to express my love and adoration and praise to the God that I love. And worship is a powerful vehicle that will bring you into the presence of God where his power can do something new and fresh in you and change you, even though things are bad. I remember going into worship, even leading worship sometimes, when something bad had happened all week and I was just in a bad mood. But getting in the presence of God, suddenly those chains fell off, my eyes began to open, and I looked up and I saw God, like Isaiah. High and lifted up. I didn't see him like Isaiah, but I saw God in my heart. I could feel his presence and his comfort and his help and his wisdom, his guidance. We love God also by loving one another. Somebody say amen. Beloved, love one another. Command of God. I don't give you a new command but an old command. Love one another. You know, it's the second of the greatest commandment is to love one another. And we need to love one another through thick and thin, through bad and good, no matter how we feel is the love of God should be present in our heart because it is shed abroad by the Holy Spirit, the Bible says. Now, there's a kingdom principle. Uh, when you are just doing life, and it's kind of worded this way, you may not, you know, but when you're just doing life, doing life and ministry as a child of God and a servant of the Lord, just serving, you can be surprised by an encounter with His presence. Now, you always expect, I do, doing the work of God, experience and expect His presence to show up. But there's sometimes when you're working and just doing everyday stuff, that in that moment of your service and your devotion to God by the things you're doing to advance the kingdom, suddenly God can show up in a unique and special way. Now, this is a powerful thing. It's illustrated here uh, in Acts chapter 13, verses 1 through 4. And, and the Bible says here that in that beginning of that chapter, it's talking about the new hub of Christian outreach, Christianity, moved from Jerusalem as the primary hub for the expansion of the kingdom through missions and outreach to, uh, uh, to Antioch of, of Syria. And, and it says there in the beginning... Uh, <clears throat> Uh, Luke writes, among the prophets and teachers at the church at Antioch of Syria were, and he lists several names, Barnabas, Simeon, called the black man. How many know God's an equal opportunity savior? Amen. He was called the black man. Lucius from Cyrene. Manan, the childhood companion of King Herod Antipas. Imagine that. And Saul, who became Paul later. And it says here, this is the key verse here, one day. Say one day. One day. I mean, they have been doing what they've been doing all along. Uh, and just one day, as these men were worshiping, they were worshiping the Lord, and they were fasting, the Holy Spirit said. The Holy Spirit said, you want to hear God speak? 
Worship the Lord. Sometimes fast as God calls you to. And the Holy Spirit will speak. And the Holy Spirit spoke a message that really was not a revelation, okay, uh, to Paul and Barnabas. It was a confirmation of what God had already showed them in their heart. And maybe the others knew of their heart, believing they were called to be missionaries, to go out and establish churches, save people by the power of the gospel, and to establish churches, raising up elders. But this time the Holy Spirit spoke. And he said, appoint Barnabas and Saul for the special work that I have called them, revealing the purpose for which God had called them, the purpose that he had for their life. Now, I'm going to tell you that you have purpose, God's purpose for your life. And I, and I have to be careful and say that many people in the church believe that, well, you know, God has purpose for you. If you're called to be a pastor, you're called to be an evangelist, or you're going to be called to be a missionary or one of the other two uh, ministry gifts and offices of ministry. But even you are called. The lay people are called. The people who love God are called. We are ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ that will transform lives, change lives, and change direction. But one day, just one day, they're doing the same thing. They're doing the good work of the ministry. They're worshiping the Lord and they're fasting. And then the Holy Spirit said, appoint Barnabas and Saul for the special work to which I have called them. The special work which I have called them. And so after more fasting and prayer, the men laid their hands on them and they sent them on their way. And I love this next verse, verse number four. Because they laid hands on them and they sent them their way. Can I just tell you something that's not in there that's just, I mean, it just makes sense? Is that they also took an offering for them. <laughs> because they had to equip them for their travels. So they had some resources to help them. That's just common sense. Would somebody say amen? I love supporting missionaries for the work that God has called them, the special work he's called for them. And verse number four says, So Barnabas and Saul were sent, their way, were sent out by the Holy Spirit. They sent them out, but they only recognized what the Holy Spirit had already done. Somebody say amen. So uh, other examples here uh, are Moses, Joshua, and Gideon. And I'm going to kind of go fast forward through this. I probably won't even finish this message because of the time. But what does it mean to fulfill God's purpose? We might ask that question. What does it mean to fulfill God's purpose? And uh, <clears throat> uh, your desire to obey him, surrendering to God, means trusting fully. Say trusting fully. Trusting fully that no matter how difficult or painful, what he asks you to of you is to always do your best, to, is always in your best interest. In other words, when you go through a hard time, and I found this out through experience, uh, long experience in the ministry, that when I go through a hard time or a painful time, is that God is there in the midst of it, and he's going to help me to see something that I can't see currently. That's just a fact. Rick Warren asked the question, what is the purp your purpose according to the Bible? What is the purpose? Many of you have read The, um, uh, the Purpose Driven Life. It's very powerful and very prophetic and very powerful from God, a word from God. Uh, it, Rick Warren says it declares that you, why you exist. Why, did, why was I born? Why did God cause me to come to life and be uh, a person. What has he called me to do? And, and he goes on to say, it captures the heart of why you are on this earth and why Jesus died for you. Why did Jesus die for you? It defines your life, not in terms of what you think, but what God thinks. It's what God thinks, not what I think. What God thinks. And that's called surrender. That's called abandoning uh, what I think and letting God do what he thinks. And that's always best for us. 
It puts us in our sweet spot. He goes on to say, it anchors your life in the character and the call of God. And he says this directly, God wants to redeem human beings from Satan and reconcile them to himself so that we can fulfill the five purposes that he created us for. Number one is to love him. Number two is to uh, uh, is to uh, uh, be a part of his purposes that he created us for, is to love him, be a part of his, of, of his family, to become like him and to serve him and to tell others about him. God has called all of us to do those things. It's a purpose in life. But there's a special work God has called for you to do. It's your sweet spot where God has placed you. Now Moses uh, is an example who entered into God's presence kind of, you might say, Moses might say by chance, I just happened to be there and I saw this thing. But it wasn't by chance with God. It was a divine appointment that God had called him to. And Moses wasn't aware of that. Have you ever been called to a divine appointment, not even thinking of yourself going someplace, and yet there you are, and there's the purpose of God right there for you to do? Whether it's to encourage someone, to pray for someone, to witness to someone. I mean, Pastor <coughs> Dave uh, Ewer, uh, on his latest uh, report, talks about a, a man that he met and a woman uh, who he just went up and started talking to as he's working on something, trying to fix something, and Dave said, are you in pain? No. Uh, are you sure you're not in pain? Ask the wife, are you in pain? No. And, and when the guy was down continuing to work on it, the wife said, <laughs> I, and, and that was really cool, wasn't it? And so Dave said, are you in pain? Well, yes, I'm in pain. Turned out he had all kinds of pain, back pain, uh, you know, up and down. You can listen to the report yourself. And Dave prayed for him, and he said, well, some of my pain is gone. He says, is all of it gone? No. Well, let's pray again. Prayed again, and he's, he's up, hey, I don't have any pain at all now. Now, that was a divine appointment. This is one example. Now, your divine appointment may not be as, as, as powerful as that, or I mean, you know, as, you know, heal, you know, prayed for somebody and they got healed, but it could be you're there to encourage that person, to speak a word into their life, to look at them. And I think also, you know, God gave us a brain. He gave us human eyes. We can see things and observe some things, uh, but we can also see through the eyes of the Lord and see things that we can't see with our physical eyes, but God looks right through the heart of a person and says, you know, to you, through word of knowledge, open your eyes and you can see that person is, is really hurting right now. See? You can look in their eyes, the, Jesus said the eyes are the window of the soul. And you can look in the eyes sometimes and see troubled eyes. Or you can look and see somebody's in physical pain. But when you look into those eyes, it's been oftentimes when I was in sales and out meeting dozens, I mean, probably hundreds of people throughout the week, hundreds, maybe if not a thousand, uh, in the big box stores in greater Kansas City and when I was in sales traveling all over the region. And I could see somebody and I'd watch them. And I'd go up and start a conversation. You know why? Because it was a divine appointment. But can I tell you, God puts people in your life so that you can speak his word to them. And you can show them the love of God uh, so that they can feel and know that God loves them. It's pretty exciting. It's pretty exciting to be used of God. It's pretty exciting that God would use me. Wow. It's humbling. It's like, but I don't, I'm not that good, God. When God says, well, I make my power manifest by the Spirit in you so that you can do greater things. 
greater things. Now, find your purpose. Find your special purpose that God has for you. Moses entered into God's presence and he found his purpose. He wasn't expecting it. Moses thought he found his purpose. Hey, I tried to, you know, uh, be good to the, my people in Egypt when I had the power and the authority. And I protected Guy from getting beat up and, and killed the Egyptian that was, that was punishing him and torturing him. And then they accused me and said they're going to tell everybody about it. So he fled for his life across the desert. You know, met a wife, which is a good thing, by the way. And he got married, and he had kids. He settled down, and he's living his life. Life is good. But you know what I think? I think even though life was good for Moses, I think there was something on the inside of him that just didn't set right. That this is good, but oh, something inside of him was stirring. That there's a greater purpose that God called me for. This can't be all that there is. It just can't be all there is. Can I I just tell you that Moses had a divine appointment with God. God set it up. In Exodus chapter 3, it talks about it. And you know what it starts off saying in the first verse? One day. Take a look at it. I don't have it on the overhead because I was planning on going through this rapidly, but I think I'm going to slow down a little bit. One day, Moses was doing life. He was out watching his father-in-law's sheep. He had part of the family business. Okay? I'm sure you kind of hoped he'd inherit someday. I don't know. But he's out there working hard, watching his father-in-law's sheep. And one day, it says that he just came across a place where he saw something that was really unusual. And it says that, what does it say? He turned aside. Say turned aside. He turned aside to see the sight that amazed him. He saw a bush that was burning. Now, maybe that wasn't so uncommon to have occasional brush fires in the mountains in the dry areas. But Moses this time thought this was a unique fire because as he turned aside to see it, it's like this has been burning and yet that bush is as green as ever. It's not being consumed by the fire. And so he turned aside. And at that time, it says that the angel of the Lord appeared. It was a theophany, a pre Bethlehem appearance of the Lord, Jesus speaking through the bush, the burning bush, in the form of that burning bush and speaking to Moses. Moses, he calls his name. Has he called your name? He knows your name. You know that, right? He knows everything about you inside and out. He knew all about Moses. He knew all about his fears. He knew about his insecurities. God knew all about his weaknesses. He knew all about uh, his feelings of failure. He knew all about how he felt, defeated, hopeless. And yet God still called him. He called him. From the bush, he called him. He called him. And when God gave him his commission, as he turned aside and he found out that uh, the place where he was was holy because God said, you know, he he kind of, the place you're standing on Moses is holy. Take off the shoes from your feet. And Moses did as he was told. And God called him. He gave his commission that you're going to go and deliver my people from the hand of Pharaoh, the most powerful military leader on the planet, probably the wealthiest nation at that time. You're going to go tell Pharaoh to let my people go. And, and, And Moses in verse 11, what's he say? Who am I? Who am I? And it's kind of like, you know, fast forwarding a little bit. God didn't care about that question. God says, I am. When you say, who am I? God says, I am. Okay? I am. God is everything that you're not. He can empower you to do everything that you cannot do in your own power. 
He can make you shine when there's not any, anything to shine on your life because he will transform and he will use you for his glory. You know what the greatest outreach of any church is, but I believe of Calvary, because years ago, way back when Pastor Roger was still here, we talked about outreach. Okay, what kind of outreach should we do? We have did different outreaches into the community. And, and the Lord showed me in prayer, he says, the greatest outreach any church can do and the, and the greatest one that will be the greatest successful is if every person sitting in the pew will go out and be a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They are the most effective outreach that you can have. If every person, every child of God in every church would realize that God has called them into ministry and you would go out and begin to share, bring people to church where they can hear the message of salvation, understand that there's a God who loves them no matter what they've done in their past, that he can cleanse them and he can forgive them and he can give them a life that they never dreamed was possible. That is the greatest outreach a church can do. Now, should we do others? Absolutely. But we need to get a hold of the call of God on our lives. Long before I was ever a minister of the gospel, I was busy doing works of ministry and helping people, trying to get them to come to church, testifying and witnessing to almost anything that moved when I was out in the sales territory. You know, I never had one person get mad at me and tell me to stop telling me about God. Every one of them wanted to hear Let's, let's add, answer the call of God for our life. A second example is, is uh, Gideon. I love the story of Gideon. Gideon is, is a similar thing that happened to him. He was just trying to survive in a tough situation. He had inherited uh, the, the uh, uh, consequences of sin that had visited his nation where God had uh, turned his back for a while, let the Midianites come in and punish Israel for their sins of idolatry. And it became so bad. In fact, Judges chapter 6 through 8 talks about Gideon and his life and ministry and uh, as being one of the judges who ruled over Israel and helped defeat their enemies. But, you know, here he is, uh, uh, kind of uh, the Midianites would come down. The Bible says they were so cruel that they would take all the food. They were like a plague of locusts that took everything. And many Israelites were starving because they had no food because when the crops were ripe, they began to harvest them. The Midianites would come in and they would take it all for themselves and leave just little pieces left in the fields. And, and Gideon was in a wine press um, trying to thresh some wheat that was left and to hide, it from, to hide it from the Midianites. And so you could say that he was a little fearful, I think would be an understatement. He was hiding, trying to hide sustenance for survival. And what happens is he has an encounter uh, of the God kind. Because he's over there doing his business and the angel of the Lord, which is a pre-Bethlehem appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ in an angelic form. Asked the, he just made a statement. He greeted Gideon and said, uh, King James says, uh, hey, mighty man of valor. Uh, New Living Translation says, hey, hero. And I always say when I see this is Gideon didn't feel like a hero. He felt like a victim. He didn't feel victorious. He was the victim of circumstances. And instead of, of getting excited and say, hey, ask me, Turn around and look. Who are you talking to? I'm no hero. I'm just, I'm just a least in my family. And yet, here's a tremendous kingdom principle. It's taken from the book of Romans, is that God is a God who calls 
those things that are not as though they already were. And he looks at our life and he sees us the way we are. Maybe we're fearful, maybe cowardly, maybe angry, maybe resentful, feeling rejection. And God looks right at us and calls us a righteous man or woman of God. We're unclean, but God says when we trust in Jesus, he says, you're washed and you're clean. He sees things in you. Listen to me. He sees things in you that you don't even know are there. But God put them inside of you. And they're laying dormant. And maybe you're unaware of them. But God is a God who will reach inside of you through circumstances and trouble in your life. And he will cause you to discover those things. Because when we're in trouble, we face, we call out to God. And he helps us. All things work for good for those who are called of God according to his purposes. They love God and called according to his purposes. He helps us to discover things. We're not looking when things are good. We're not looking and trying to find those things. But when trouble comes, we do. And Gideon was no different. Uh, here he is, you know, uh, the victim. And all these years that they had been the victim of this cruel nation. And here he is. And God shows up and he tells him, he calls him into uh, a military campaign to deliver the people of God from the oppression of the Midianites. And Gideon's not really certain of his call, so what does he do? He says, you know what, um, God, if you'll just fulfill this fleece, Okay, okay, God, now do this one. You go back and read the story. But he wasn't sure of himself. And sometimes we're not sure of ourselves because of circumstances. I just don't know about this. But again, like Gideon, God sees things in us that we don't know exist. And sometimes those things need to be brought up to the surface. We need to develop them, cultivate them, so that they change our life and they promote us into a place that we didn't think we'd ever be. God is that kind of a God. And lastly, I'm going to ask the worship team to come back as I'm finishing this last point, is Joshua was also a man who entered. Now, by the way, Gideon had victory. We know that, right? Whittled his army down to 300, and with uh, lanterns and pitchers, breaking pitchers, and a shout, the sword of the Lord and of Gideon, they charged down into the valley, and they defeated the enemy. In fact, so much confusion God created in their camp that they started fighting and killing each other. Now, can I just tell you, that'll happen to your enemies too, the spiritual enemies that we have. You, somebody says the devil's after you. Well, God will cause the enemy to even turn on himself. Somebody say amen. That's good news. Joshua entered into God's presence. He was uh, selected by God and told to Moses that he would be your successor. He will be the one who will lead your people across the Jordan River into the promised land. Moses, you're not going to the promised land because, because you sinned when you struck the rock instead of speaking to it the way I told you, so you're not going through. Moses was disappointed, as you can understand, but Joshua was sitting there uh, as the second of, Gide of, of uh, the assistant to Moses, and he's just walking in big footsteps. Moses, my servant is dead, God says, starting out in the first chapter of the book of Joshua, and uh, you are going to take these people across. And I'll be with you just as I was with Moses. And the one thing he tells him uh, is be strong and very courageous. Twice be courageous, and the third time very courageous because there's going to be a thing there. In other words, you're going to lead. You're going to do what I have planned for you, the purposes that I have for you, Joshua. You're going to lead, and you're going to take those people across the land. Now, I'm not going to read you the scripture that we have overhead, but he had an encounter. You can see up there on verse 13. 
when he has an encounter with this uh, incredibly uh, intimidating-looking warrior, as he's probably out. And I like to think that Joshua, uh, before they went into battle, was out kind of praying and asking God for wisdom, because that's what I'd be doing, facing a battle. And he just comes across this guy. It's an encounter of the God kind. Joshua wasn't aware of it at that time, but he su- suspected this guy was unique and probably feared, I hope you're on our side, because he says, are you for us or for our enemies? And this person who is standing there says, neither one, I am the commander of the Lord's army, the captain of the Lord's host, one translation says. And as Joshua then, he falls on his face to the ground in reverence, recognizing this is the divine encounter. And he says, I'm at your command. Whatever you tell me to do, I'll do. And the commander of the Lord's army said this. Remember this with Moses? Take the shoes off your feet because the place you're standing is holy ground. And he receives the instructions from God about how to do the battle against Jericho. Now, I don't know how the battle would have turned out had Joshua not had this encounter. I don't know. But God gave him a strategy that was the craziest military strategy on the face of warfare. But if God says to do it, it's going to work. See, and Joshua found that out. How did he find it out? Because he had an encounter of the God kind, an encounter with the living God. And God wants to have an encounter with you. Uh, And I'm going to ask you to stand today as we close in prayer. And we're going to worship a little bit, but we're going to open up the altars. And I'm going to ask you, do you need an encounter with God, a fresh encounter with God? Do you need to approach the altar and just cry out to him and say, God, I I need a fresh touch from you. I need a fresh word from you. I I need you to touch my life and just fill it with your Holy Spirit anew and afresh. I'm going to invite you to come and to find a place of prayer. I'm going to invite the anointers to come up to pray with you if you want prayer with someone. But let's press in to the presence of God and let's expect and presume that he's going to honor his word, that when we come near to him, he's going to bless us and he's going to meet us. Somebody say amen. So Father, I pray that today. Show up, God, in a powerful way at these altars. Lord, bring people into your presence. Uh, Lord, let them encounter, Lord, your presence and Lord, to hear your voice of purpose in their life. God, I pray this in Jesus' name. If there be someone here today who doesn't know you as Savior and Lord and they need forgiveness of sins, let them come and And Lord, let let one of the prayer team, Lord, just pray with them and lead them to Jesus today. God, I pray this in your name. Amen. Amen.